You know, I finally felt like I could let it go after I was about 50. And if you, if you can't listen to an older person say the words that are being said on every kindergarten playground, then go fuck yourself. <laughs> Welcome to the catch-up. Introducing your hosts. Eli Arith. Editor. And... Jeffrey Kutnick, CEO, and apparently the only guy who takes this podcast seriously. Of the craziest, most bestest, news-breaking, food-porn-peddling, viral website on the dot-coms. It's crazy when your future is decided by an algorithm. Dude, this pizza is fucking crazy! There's not one person in this entire world that believes you. All right. And welcome to the catch-up. What up, intertubers? <laughs> we got YouTuber and actress Peggy Glenn on the catch-up today. And you might know Peggy as Granny Potty Mouth on the internet. She's also the author of a brand new book, which is quote-unquote, the fastest fuck cookbook, <laughs> tried and true recipes seasoned with sass. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. This is so fun. <laughs> Where where did Granny Potty Mouth come from? Like, what's the origin story? The origin story. Well, I had done an acting gig for PETA. And um, we'll get to that later, probably. And about a month after that, I was having a conversation with a longtime girlfriend. I mean, we'd been friends for 40 plus years. And she was giving me... Can I swear? Of course. Yeah. She was giving me... A, a, <laughs> Imagine you couldn't. <laughs> well, I don't know if you're going to bleep or whatever. But anyway, she was giving me a ration of shit because I said, um, you know, I said everything that was on the script for that, for that gig. And she said, how could you say all that stuff and even blasphemy? And I never really knew her to be such a tight ass. <laughs> and so, you know, I'd been acting for maybe a year and a half, but I puffed myself up as, as big as the biggest penguin around, and I just went, well, I'm an actress, and when I show up on set, another term for industry, industry term, I'm supposed to say exactly what's on the script, another industry term, Right. And then I kind of stopped for a second and I said, and I guess my inner granny potty mouth came out. And I had one of those light bulb moments because prior to starting an acting career, which was a bucket list item, actually, I had been in, in specialty retail for the better part of 30 some years. And I had been selling books to firefighters and I've always been a words person, always. And I've always understood the power of words to persuade and I try to use that in a positive way, persuade, not not intimidate. Um, and I realized as soon as I said it that it was a name, not a value judgment. Potty mouth grandma is a value judgment. Oh, she's the potty mouth grandma. She's the swearing grandma. Those are value judgments and descriptors. But Granny Potty Mouth is simply my name. So that's who I am. So the, the PETA video, which went incredibly viral, that was before your channel came about? Yes. How, how did, so the, that, PETA, that PETA commercial, which is the toe fucking commercial, where you made fun of a create around Thanksgiving time making a, a turducken, which is what, like a chicken stuffed inside of a duck stuck inside, inside, of, a of, a, inside a turkey, of a turkey. Right. And of course that upsets the PETA people because that's three animals in one that you've just slaughtered. <laughs> Right. And so they wrote the script and um, 
my job was to show up and say what was on it. It was a volunteer gig. It was an unpaid gig because we're a nonprofit. Mm. Um, and I guess I'm as good an actress as, as they come because everybody to this day believes that that was me spouting out my anger at, at the people who eat animals. I believed it. I mean, I, yeah, when I it's saw it, very believable. When I saw it, I was like, "Peggy's a vegan." Because I mean, it's really so. That came first. You came in. That was just a gig for you. It was a gig. It, it took three hours to tape in uh, in this person's kitchen. Very professionally done. The people were extraordinarily nice to me. Um, they had two cameras running at once, so I didn't have to repeat a lot of stuff. They had um, they had the script on cards, so it's not like I needed to memorize it. I just needed to show up and be me, Peggy, using their words. Mm-hmm. And and I'm kind of irreverent to begin with. <laughs> well, you know, at this point, I don't give a fuck what people think of me. I hope they like me. I hope they know that for the most part, I like everybody as long as they're not a dick or an asshole. You know, and really, let's get out of anatomy. As long as they're not mean. As long as they're not mean. And I have no patience for stupid. (laughs) There's no excuse for stupid. I like that. I feel that way. So how much much of Peggy is in Granny Potty Mouth, do you think? Because you're going to make me do fractions. (laughs) Although I do fractions pretty well when I cook. Well, because the first thing I'll notice is in all of your YouTube videos, there's... A different pitch in your voice, for sure. At least it seems like in the videos that I watched, one of the top comments being uh, oh, your voice sounding like, like Mickey, Mickey Mouse. Mouse. Yeah. And well, then, that depends on how excited I get. Okay. And you'll hear that as we do this podcast. If I get super excited about something, then I just, you know, I just, I just go there. And, and mind you, the husbands that I've had just hate it. They absolutely, my kids hate it. But it's not, it's not anger. It's just, I'm excited. So, uh, um, it's not a voice I put on. Um, today I've got a little bit of a nasal thing going on, so my voice might be a little lower. I haven't had three meals yet, and so that affects that affects my voice. If you talk to anybody who sings for a living, um, all the things that they do during the day before they sing, and if particularly if they have a morning gig, their voice is entirely different. They have to warm it up differently. I try to warm up before I get on camera because I don't want to get dry and, and a tightened throat. Mm. But yeah, so what percent? Um, the personality and the values is 100% me. I have no tolerance for mean and no tolerance for intolerance. And the shtick, the, the cussing, you know, I finally felt like I could let it go after I was about 50. And if you, if you can't listen to an older person say the words that are being said on every kindergarten playground, then go fuck yourself. <laughs> Yo, that's the cold open yeah, right real. there. For real. real. Run it. <laughs> Izzy, mark, mark that right there, man. So you said up until 50, you consider yourself uh, a not cussing person? Were you, no, were you prudish? I, I what would, do you think? No, no, no. I, I've never been a prude. Um, I'm, a, I'm kind of conservative about some things. Um, I don't like to dress provocatively. I don't like to see other people dress or behave provocatively in public for me that's that's a personal thing you share with someone it's not something you share out in a club or at a restaurant or walking down the street um but in terms of language (laughs) 
it, nothing, none of that stuff has ever bothered me unless it was laid out with meanness. I, I just don't do mean. And is that what made it fun for you? Because you're like, look, this isn't mean. Language doesn't have to be mean. It can be emotive and expressive. Right. And I took care. Um, nobody needs to know what my faith issues uh, or faith position is on anything. But I took care and do take care not to use blasphemy because I know it's very offensive to some, to many people. You know, God damn this or Jesus Christ that. It's 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 offensive and it's it's like the biggest turnoff. And why would I want to eliminate any segment of my audience? Uh, I want people to enjoy what I have to say. And I never, ever use my phrases about a person. They're, it's always about a situation or they're just thrown out in passing. Because I think I think they're great words. Like You see how they just sprinkle into my conversation. However, if I knew I were taping this at Trinity Broadcasting, I would not say that stuff. Yeah. Because it would be offensive to them. They might want to ask me about my cookbook and, and, how, and my philosophy of feeding people, feeding everybody who comes to my house. I don't care what their diet is. And just then I censored. I don't care what their diet is as opposed to I don't give a fuck what their diet is. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's I try to be respectful. Well, your messaging was the same. Whether you said the F word or you didn't, you were you were reaching that Trinity audience and you still exactly. wanted them to, to love food without bias and so for you you were still able to, to come feed to energy. anybody without making judgment about their needs what's so funny is that i'm seeing that your granny potty mouth brand was birthed after that PETA video which but when i saw that PETA video i felt like that was a little bias i, I felt like it was a little i mean a little is a, a very nice way to put it actually i mean the video at the end you're basically just you essentially shame through the commercial, not you, you're an actress. At that point, you are an actress and not you, Peggy. Right. Um, that commercial shames people who are eating meat. Now, we've talked with PETA. We have a relationship with PETA. There, there are valid arguments to some of the stuff that they're saying. But it's just so funny to see the birth of your brand, of the gra of Granny Potty Mouth brand. But the first time that people saw it was through this PETA commercial. PETA created that brand, essentially? No, no, they didn't create the brand. They hired me as an actress. Uh, uh, the Breakdown. Breakdown is like a, a, a want ad for, uh, for talent. Okay. And it says, a stereotypical Caucasian grandmother who would, be, who would not be uncomfortable swearing. Hmm. I looked at that, and it was offering no money. And I looked at that, and I went, fuck yeah, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm... Um, as an actor, I mean, do you believe every movie that um, every do you believe every movie that Meryl Streep is in? Of course not. Exactly. And what what really is confusing to a, a lot of the general public is they don't understand that the actors and actresses hired to do a commercial for a car or toilet paper or or whatever are are hired to put the message of the advertiser out there in a believable fashion. And so that's what I was hired to do. And, and I, I still try to maintain my Peggy, my message of tolerance and kindness and, and happiness and finding your own joy and being responsible for your own self. I try to find that in every one of my granny videos. That's my message. And tell me where the food background started because obviously your, <laughs> your YouTube channel... As much as there's the novelty side of 
of cursing while describing. I mean, your channel, your cookbook is is all about food. So, I mean... Actually, I- my channel isn't all about food, but there's a food segment to it. There's a food segment. There's a relationship advice segment. There's a crazy a skits segment. There's... Um, there's just what's on my mind segment. I, I try to mix it up because sometimes I don't have enough crew or any money to pay them to do a cooking segment. If to do a cooking segment correctly, you need to have someone else running the camera, not having it set up on a tripod doing it. But um, the cookbook, you want that story, that whole backstory? Is that what you're well, looking I, for? Or just even before Granny Potty Mouth, because you know, reading your intro, it talks about being a military wife, having to feed a family on oh, a budget, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, being a single mom, having to feed a family on even a smaller budget. So, which to me, which when I look at your fastest fuck cookbook and which I made a recipe last night. <gasps> which one did you make? I made the the pesto crispy chicken. Oh, which that's was, so which, good. Which was really amazing and also got rave reviews from my girlfriend and my roommate. But, you know, you can sense... I, the the recipe I made was four ingredients, yeah. right? I made it in 45 minutes. I can clean up and eat in an hour and a half on a weekday. And the time really was the baking time. Yeah, and I still had leisure you time to watch You still could have done laundry the, while yeah, you... I, was... Which I did. I had leisure time to watch the, the election coverage last night. And so, you know, that seems to stem from your from your, an earlier time in your life yeah, that you that, talk about in that intro. I'm curious about those times and how that shaped your food perspective. Well, I grew up in Northeast Massachusetts in a mill town. And um, like any mill town in Northeast Massachusetts in the late 40s and early 50s, there were was always this, the ever-present threat of a strike. And when the workers would go out on strike because the union leaders said to, and they couldn't get along with management, then the money went down. And my mother was an absolute genius at putting food on the table that didn't gross us out. Um, we, we never had to go stand in food lines, and we never had to go to food bank at the time because she was also a master of a pantry. You know, she would she would keep a really good pantry either with stuff that, that we'd grown and she'd canned or just she'd find the sales and she'd if something was five for a dollar or whatever, she'd buy five, even if we didn't need five for the next six months. And so that's that sort of plan ahead mentality is something that I carried with me into my young marriage and into my young single motherhood and then into the next marriage when I had two more kids to feed and then uh, many years of being single and owning a business and not wanting to eat in the fast food swamp every night. Sure. Because in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s, that that's that's where the choices were headed was, you know, stop at the fast food place. And the fast food swamp is much bigger now than than the than the food desert. Mm. And what were some of the what were some of the meals that your mom made that you made with a young family because are some of those meals in this cookbook? Absolutely. Did you see Slop yet? I did see yeah, Slop. I saw Slop, I I saw slop which was, I thought was the best title of a recipe in a cookbook that I've ever seen. Well, my, in in um, in my town in New England, um, they called it American chop suey. And I was back in Massachusetts last week with, with a bunch of my or two weeks ago with a bunch of my friends, and other people call it goulash. So every family's got some 
manner of morphic morphification of this recipe. You start with elbow macaroni or whatever's in the cupboard. You add some ground meat to it, whatever you've got, chicken or turkey or beef, whatever. And then the rest of it is up for grabs. And my mother always made it with onions and peppers, and um, she never put vegetables in it. She put onions and peppers in it, and, and I've never liked them, and I still don't like them, and they don't like me. And they probably don't <laughs> like me because I don't like them, or I've come to not like them because they don't like me. You know, I just I didn't like them. And then, um, then I made it all the time with my kids, but I added green beans and corn, okay, because I like them. And that, that's the message that's throughout this cookbook. If you like it, put it in it. If you don't like it, fuck it. It doesn't go. Period. End of story. And or if you've got a family that's got different likes, put the shit in bowls and let them fit it, put it in themselves, you know? So um, the way it came to be called slop was um, I was married to a firefighter for about 20 years. And that's when I had the, the two extra kids. And in the firehouse, the guys have to take their turns at cooking, Right. And particularly um, here in Southern California where they work 24-hour shifts. So you're there for 24 hours and everybody takes a turn cooking. So one night he he knew he was coming up to cook and he asked me how to make this because he never cooked at home. Oh, no. No. (laughs) That was not in his domain. The garage was his domain. Um, and he did a good job of that. I mean, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna down him at all. He was just a really honorable dude. Um, but um, when he put it on the table at the firehouse, the guy says, "Well, what is this?" He goes, "I don't know, some slop my wife makes." <laughs> and it became known as slop even at home because I asked him, "How did it go over?" He goes, "Man, the guys dug it, and you can put mushrooms in it, you can put olives in it, you know, what, whatever, whatever works for you and your family or the people who you're feeding, just throw them in there." And so um, I, w- I was having a conversation with someone the other night. I said, "I don't care if it's called slop." He's my ex-husband, but he's not an asshole. And and the name, the name just sort of <laughs> drops, and you go, "We're having slop tonight." Oh, really? Oh. <laughs> this oh. could be interesting. <laughs> I got a question for both of you, actually. Okay. So, Jeff, why did you pick the recipe you picked? And Peggy, if someone was going to pick a recipe from the first time out of your book, or you're hoping they see one recipe first before the others, which would it be? Because I'm curious, is there one that's like very indicative of everything you're trying to achieve? I'm gonna let him answer first. Okay, because I'm curious why you picked that one. Because he came to the book, he came to the book totally innocent, not knowing what to find in there. Right. Yeah, I went. uh, There's a there's a specific uh, meat section. What's it titled again? I can't remember. But there's a there's a meat section specifically in the cookbook. I knew I wanted to have a protein. I knew, and what I was excited about was that this was the exact premise in which i knew that this cookbook is for which Mm. is it was a tuesday night last night and i was coming home from work after running some errands i wanted to make dinner for myself and a few other people i don't have the ingredients so i'm going to stop by a store what can i be in and out in the store and also serve something that i'm going to be excited about and I was trying to cook enough to have leftovers yes, for yes, yes. for the next day, but it 
went over <laughs> the meal went over so well that we destroyed all of the chicken that I made and I had leftover broccoli and rice but the chicken was the star of the show so I made I made the cr- crispy pesto chicken and it was it was amazing and I think and before you go into some of your iconic recipes of what people should try I think I picked a great one um and the reason I liked it so much is because, and I, and one of the reasons I really resonate with your YouTube is because it's, constantly there's this, you don't like it, fuck it, do whatever you like. And what, and there's this baseline with this cookbook that I think is different than almost any other cookbook that I've actually made a recipe from, and here's why. Most of the cookbooks I read go from, are coming from amazing chefs, are coming from Food Network, hosts are coming from whatever and it'll and only work if you do it my way totally not and not only that they think top down so they're gonna source whatever a kimchi from a store they're gonna source whatever these ingredients are that i may or may not have access to we're lucky that in california we have a lot of access to various things but that doesn't mean it's time efficient for me to stop by the vietnamese store to get a certain fish sauce because if I can't get it at my neighborhood store, you've now added 45 minutes of drive time, store time, and I still have to go back to my normal store to get everything else. So why I like this is it's bottom up. Here are four, you, you need four ingredients for this chicken. You wanna do something else, do it. And I actually did something else. I did Parmesan instead of mozzarella and I put it in the breading and it was amazing. But I had the base of what I was doing. And I think that's very different from the other cookbooks. Because, again, you start with an idea, four, five, six ingredients, and then you can do what you want. But if you do a cook, if you go into Action Bronson's Fuck That's Delicious cookbook, you can't subtract things and know it's still going to be good. But you can be additive to a base yeah. b- to your preferences. Or subtractive. And, or, or subtractive. But I think that's something where it's so simple that I can accomplish that without understanding a new technique or like diving it. into tons of ingredients. Because other chefs, I feel like when they, when, they do, when they create their own cookbook, they have to add so many layers and ingredients because if they don't, this is going to sound like a recipe you've seen before and thus they lose their brand. Where it's like, all right, cool. If my crispy pesto chicken doesn't have like eight of my own ingredients, especially two that you probably haven't heard before because I just need <laughs> to throw them in, then anything less than that, it's not the Eli Aruth crispy pesto chicken and I'm going to get outdone. And I like this. It's like the base, but it's comp- if you read it, it's like with the attitude that that Peggy that you're you're getting across, and it act- worked for Jeff, who's seen a million cookbooks, and we're here. We well, and pitch- the other thing you've got is a little bit of a cooking and eating experience, uh, which is kind of one of the tenets of improv. Yes, and so you are familiar with how parmesan works in different things you've had it on chicken wings out somewhere or you've had it in a couple different places so you are able to to use your own brain and go (laughs) hey i i wonder well i already know there's this cheese in it and parmesan there's nothing wrong with parmesan i'll put it here now and you know what it even goes great on scrambled eggs but you probably know enough to know that you shouldn't put pineapple juice in scrambled <laughs> eggs but you can eat pineapple on the side of scrambled eggs sure right so you know the i think 
I think I I tried to be a I tried to be a mentor to the reluctant cook, mm-hmm. uh, a confidence builder to the new cook, and um, sort of a pat on the back to the experienced cook who's got no fucking time to screw around. You know, they, they get the, the, the day <clears throat> the day is done. Three people have already asked him, "What's for dinner?" You know, mom, what's for dinner, dad? You have this really funny video on YouTube where you make fun of everyone that's going to come over to your Thanksgiving dinner and they all have these (laughs) dietary needs. Like one is gluten-free, one is vegan, one needs to leave by 3 p.m. So they're like, if you're having dinner at 2 or 1. One's lactose intolerant. Oh, I love that. Way to fuck up the mashed potatoes. (laughs) (laughs) That video is so funny. I was like, oh, that that is a Thanksgiving thing. But then is it also like a daily mom potato? thing where like you're dealing with the kids because that's that's what's happening right well if if it's a mom thing and you're dealing with the kids you're dealing from a whole different level than feeding family and strangers or family and friends Mm. if it's a mom thing you're doing what's best for your kid um if they've got an allergy or a food sensitivity um and so, for some, it's it's it texture. They they're kids with textural issues. Mm. So as a mom, you're approaching what you're putting the t- on the table from a v- much different perspective than the host of Thanksgiving dinner. But we should talk about Thanksgiving dinner because that's that's coming up. It's upon us. So how but, do you? But I didn't answer your question about my favorite recipe in the book. You yes. should. You should. Every fucking one of them. I wouldn't have put them in there <laughs> if I didn't like them. Now, I'm dead serious. I would not have put anything in that book if I didn't like it. Um, and um, it, it was way late in life when I took improv classes, and I understood how much I'd already been doing improv in my life, in my cooking life, and in, in just about everything I do. Oh, gee, I wanted to wear my jeans and my red shirt today. The red shirt's in the laundry. Great. I'm going to wear the blue one instead. It's yes and. I'm going to get dressed and I'm going to get out of the house. Um, oh, crap. I wanted to make tuna noodle casserole tonight. I don't have any noodles. I'll make it with elbow macaroni. It's still tuna casserole. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and that came about when I, was an early, when I was a kid. I was maybe 10 years old. And my mother made it for the first time. And... Because I think it was either the it was either it was one of those Campbell's soup things that came along, right? It was a way to use cream and mushroom soup, right? And um, and a can of tuna, everybody could afford that, and some egg noodles, everybody could afford that. When I got to be the mom of the house, I put canned peas in mine <laughs> because I like canned peas, the little ones, the little bitty tiny ones. Yeah. I would pay extra for the can of Lasseur, little teeny ones, not frozen peas, canned peas, the different taste. Way different. Yeah, frozen peas are weird. Frozen peas are great in some things, and I specify in here. Yeah, on bruises after you get hurt at the gym. You just like, <laughs> that's like the best use of frozen peas. Yes, yes. Oh, which one is that? The oh, funeral, funeral potatoes. potatoes. I died because it's there's a recipe in here called funeral potatoes in parentheses for the living. Like, <laughs> which everyone knows exactly what you're thinking of when you do it. Oh, yeah. So in that video... That was mentioning the the jokes with gluten free, vegan, lactose. What's your what's your approach to a gathering like that? Because in the beginning of the podcast, you also mentioned you're at my house, I feed you. So what's the best way to potentially manage all that? Or how do you manage those expectations when 
jokes aside, there are there is someone that's coming to your house that's lactose. There is someone who happens to be vegan. What's your advice for the people uh, who are dealing with that maybe for the first time this year? Well, the first thing you have to do is ask. And ask in such a way that you're welcoming their information, not input, information. Hmm. You're gathering information about what to put on the table. If they have special needs and they're really super special, ask them to bring that dish. Hmm. Because maybe other people will like to try it. You know, it can be an inclusive thing as opposed to an exclusive thing. Oh, well, this over here, this is only for her. This over here, this is only for him because he has special needs. You know, that, that's a snotty approach to it, and mm. I just don't like that. I have a question for you guys. Uh, I'm wondering how you guys feel about the pressure of making a recipe from scratch, especially when you're bringing it to a party. Because for me... And maybe this might be pressure in my own head, and no one's maybe ever specifically. You're the food beast, you got food. Well, that's part, that. That <laughs> might be part of it too, is we work at a food publication. But in general, even before the food publication, when when I was building something like a spinach artichoke dip for a party, right? And people are like, "Oh, that's great. What's what's in it? How'd you do it?" And it's nor mix and cream cheese. As soon as you mention what it is, there was this guilt of I didn't make it from whatever. And again, that might be my own thing, but I don't think I'm alone in that, right? And so I'm curious about, because what I love about this cookbook too is that there's a lot of things that's just going to make it really fast. But if also, if I wanted to make my own pesto for the dinner that I made, I could have. It would have taken more time. And I would have probably done a quick Google search and kind of figured that out. And done it on the weekend before you tried to plank this dinner. Exactly. And, and so I like this because it has options, but I'm curious about how you guys feel about that pressure because I, that pressure exists for me. Dude, I don't hang with people who are going to judge me like that. <laughs> Fuck those people. And yeah, I don't think I don't but, think it's I don't yeah, know if it's actually people. I get what you're saying. Though. Look in the mirror and tell yourself. I made it. They didn't. They can like it or lump it. <laughs> I like that. I, I like that. I, I think there's a little bit of a pressure, but I like it. Like if you're, if there's a part of a fun. If you're going to a potluck or any sort of dinner, there's fun, right? So, right. But share it like a secret. Hey, you're not gonna believe this is so fucking easy. I'm sorry. I just spit on your paper. That's okay. Spit this all over it. Podcast. Bro. Yeah. This is so fucking easy. You get a packet of this. You get a packet of cream cheese, and you get some some artichokes in the can. Um. Or you can buy that slimy shit out of the deli case. <laughs> I at least put this together. Yeah. Okay. I'll, that's a good energy. I mean, that's a good energy. My favorite dish is I bring this to every Friendsgiving. Is but every no one knows this until now. They're gonna know. Uh-oh. Is I go to Whole Foods, I buy a tray, a big foil tray from Whole Foods. I buy their pre-made mac and cheese that's sitting in the hot bar, and then they have these crab packets, like the cheap crab pack packets from the they're, they're in the fridge. And the artif- make, artificial crab or the real art, artificial crab? Yeah, there's a nice little uh, flake to the artificial crab <laughs> <laughs> that I uh, that I, here's the thing. Uh, side side tangent. Most people don't 
I love real crab. It's delicious. It tastes better than the fake crab. But a lot of people don't know that that's crab. So when they see real lump crab in a dish, they're like, where the fuck is the real crab? Where's they the, where's the, the pink? Where's the, the pink? Yeah. They yeah, think they, yeah, they think that. Like and the pink is all the fake stuff. Yeah. Same exa- with sushi. Yeah. So I get the <laughs> fake stuff because, again, I'm there to impress at these Friendsgivings. So I basically – to me, it's a three-ingredient – Crab mac and cheese that is now a hot winner every That's year. That's only two. The foil tray <laughs> is my third ingredient, and so, but so I do it in the car. But by tray, do you mean a, a throwaway pan? Yeah, a throwaway pan. Okay, you can tell I don't cook a lot. Not a fancy tray, serving no, tray. No, 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 no. I just make sure it's not in a Whole Foods branded <laughs> box. That's all I care about. So I basically- you can get those. <laughs> Big lots, you know. <laughs> I should, I know. But usually I'm making this with like a half hour left to the party Okay, so starts. you have to get the mac and so cheese and the crab at the same place. I have to get them at the same place. Everything you can get is way cheaper if I had made it. So usually now this this tray of mac and cheese has cost me like a hundred bucks. <laughs> but it wins over everyone. So you basically just pour all the mac and cheese. You get about three, four, five pounds, whatever you need to do. Pour it all into the tray. You open up the lump crab with your keys and <laughs> throw it into the... <laughs> this is the in-the-car mac, crab yes, mac and yes, cheese yes, recipe. Yes, I like with that. The tailgate up. Exactly. I have another recipe like that in there in the dessert section. The um, the peppermint bark dip, yeah. the cookie dip. It's the same thing. It, uh, um, and I improved on a recipe I found in the Gas Buddy app. <laughs> <laughs> It was how to show up to a holiday potluck, potluck, and not be a loser. You can. St- <laughs> you can stop at a Seven Eleven and buy these ingredients: candy canes, Cool Whip, and Oreo cookies. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. That's amazing. So, do we answer your question, Jeff? Because when you go to that party, everyone goes and super proud of their dish right like so i brought this some people buy they buy just a pumpkin pie that they got that they don't even bother to take yeah they out don't the walk in with an ounce of pride yeah they don't care there's those people but it's, they didn't they didn't mooch no so yeah. there's that they, they didn't, didn't mooch they, they, still brought, they still brought something they contributed so yeah. i don't i mean i love that i still love that pumpkin pie i'm still gonna have a slice where i do it feel, might have been better than the one they made anyway <laughs> probably, <laughs> also that. probably sometimes you just thank them for not making you sick <laughs> um but what but then where I really feel bad for is the folks that really did try and it's just hot garbage. Like they, yeah, they yeah. and they're talking about the truffle oil that they <laughs> sourced from fucking Italy and all this stuff. And I was like, dude, have you tried my Mac, bro? <laughs> like, this is fire. It's spotlight syndrome. It's yeah, it's totally that's what it is. And I have a lot less of it now that I cook three or four times a week. I've I got a little swagger in my step when I bring Confidence. stuff in. But it just that in general. Okay, so for the growing, next six months, I want you to take shit out of my cookbook and tell everybody where you got the recipe. Okay, you got it. You got Whole it. Whole Foods. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm gonna make take this satisfying snack mix. No, oh my god, my favorite fruity ice cubes. Uh, this this was a way for me to not have ice cream tubs in the freezer all the time, because I'm already overweight and I could eat uh, I could eat half of a pint of Talenti gelato every meal. I love it. I love oh my god, that coffee chocolate, coffee meal. chocolate chip. Oh, <laughs> that stuff is amazing. But I realized that was just not so smart. So I found these fruit cubes, frozen fruit cubes in the. I think it was maybe even Smart and Final, a bag of mango and a bag of um, 
cherries. Those purple ones are cherries, frozen cherries. Purple. Oh, this guy, right? Yeah, and the pink, the pink is strawberries. Mm. So, and then I thought, well, maybe if I just mix a little vanilla um, yogurt in them, and I put it in the small container of my blender. I have those little bitty mini containers to go on my blender, and I just mix up the fruit and the yogurt and a little tiny bit of orange juice or apple juice, depending on the fruit, and I pour them in an ice cube tray. And you just you and just then pop I them just out have one by one? one or two. Yeah, pop them out, have one or two, and I've satisfied my I sweet have tooth craving. Sweet. Yeah. Oh, I love it because you. It's really kind of difficult to eat with a spoon, so you, you're just you satiate it one at a time, and by the time you're done with two or three cubes, you haven't consumed that much, but it's probably taking you a good. 15, 20 minutes. Right. And, and I'm guessing that half pint usually is what, like a two minute process? <laughs> Something like that. Something like that. Well, it depends on if I'm going to turn the spoon over or eat it turned up. Yeah. Also, it also depends on how big the spoon you like. I like yeah. a really big spoon. I like spoon. a big spoon. And, when no, I, I, and I notice when I use that big spoon, it's the full, it's the full pint real quick. I use the scooper because my dishwasher <laughs> doesn't work. So I just use the actual thing that should be for multiple people. Anyways. It's you fun. you use a lot of ranch, I've noticed. Are you are you team ranch versus team blue cheese? And is is ranch your favorite favorite dressing? I'm team either. Um, it depends on the flavor and how strong I want it to be. And this new shaker HVR, oh, that stuff has revolutionized my cooking. Wait, Have you oh, seen the Hidden Valley Ranch? Uh, the, HVR like Hidden Valley Ranch spray? Shaker. Oh, that was an acronym for Hidden Valley Ranch. You know I, she uses the I ranch did, every day. I did, if she I did not acronym. pick up on that. I'm no, like, no. HVR, is this technology? Like, be- what is this? No, no, no. It's because of the full page ad in fucking People magazine. HVR is a BFD. Big fucking deal? Big flavor deliver. Oh, my God. I thought I was up and I'm not. And apparently they have TV commercials, too. And I should be doing those commercials. What are they thinking not hiring Y'all are me? blowing it, Hidden Valley Ranch. Yo, current PR and SF, I know you represent them. Talk, talk, talk to my girl, Granny. <laughs> current PR represents them? I believe so. I sent a note. I, 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 I flamed them on Twitter and I got nowhere. <laughs> Flame them again. We'll retweet today. <laughs> Is that what you call it? Flaming? Actually, yeah. I was... Did you I light was, them up? What'd I, you do? Did you just talk shit? No, no, no. I just said, you know, talk to your girl. You know, HVR is a BFD in my world. <laughs> gotcha. Not flaming. Not, not flaming yeah. in that instance. Yeah. Flaming. To me, it comes, flaming kind of feels like you're, you're talking being, shit. talking sh- a little bit of shit on that. So I was pimping myself. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. There yeah. you go. Yeah. I get that. Yeah, that's, that's definitely closer. <laughs> okay. So in the history of Food Beast, it took, it took us about 10 years to get to this point. You've been making YouTube videos, um, I believe for more than a couple of years now. Barely over two years. And you have a cookbook, which is a really fast trajectory. Is <laughs> It didn't feel like it. I'm sure it doesn't. It never does. But does your YouTube channel, which is not, as you corrected me, not just food, but food was a major component and cookbook is a major component. Is that something where you can make your living off solely of these things? Or is that something where it's still building? Because um, I'm curious because... From the outside perspective, YouTube channels with videos, millions of views on some of your viral hits. Uh, uh, have you looked at the view counts on my videos lately? Which we experience too. So that's also another question is yeah. what what's YouTube doing for you now? But in general, is this something that 
that yeah you can live on because of this personality that has a claim that has a cookbook and things of that nature well youtube is now prude tube oh spicy oh okay uh, go on if you if you swear and i say the fuck shit damn things um you're instantly demonetized Ooh. every now and then uh, my videos have green dollar signs on if you're demonetized you have piss yellow dollar signs <laughs> if you're if you're able to get ads placed on your videos you have green dollar signs in your back end in your dashboard but because i historically uh don't get don't get monetized then youtube doesn't feed me even to my own quarter of a million subscribers i put a video up and i'm lucky to get 2000 views out of 25000 subscribers in the first week week yeah so it in you know if you don't make $100 in adsense money on youtube in a month you don't get a check and i don't get a check every month Mm. Um, Do you see anything working on YouTube right now for you? Not for me. Not for me. Um, But there there are strategic things that I've done that I think have improved it a little bit. I've made a really great um, thumbnail... uh, branding thing called fast as fuck because the fast as fuck fried rice video went to a million views on youtube in 23 days in july of 2017 there you go right yeah and it wasn't long after that that logan paul pulled his bullshit and mm. they turned total prude youtube total prude mm. and their aver- their advertisers pulled away yeah. and instead of youtube and Facebook, same thing. Instead of anybody looking for products that would like to advertise on a little bit more edgy content, they go with the safe advertisers, the yeah. safe Tide and, um, and not to disparage Tide, but Tide is going to appeal to someone who's in the evangelical movement as, as much as they are the someone who's living on the streets. Sure. You know, that they got to wash their clothes and right. they want to they be broad in their application. But, you know, there's that hot sauce. You know, I put that shit on everywhere, on everything. And that, that, that advertiser would love to be on my videos. I can't go out and sell ads on my own videos. Jimmy Kimmel, okay, so after one of the shootings, nobody could put up a video about the shootings, right? YouTube was, was taking them all down. Jimmy Kimmel did an entire show about the horrificness of one of the shootings. Jimmy Kimmel's show sells their own ads. They have the ability to sell their own ads. So anymore, it's money talks. Money talks and fame talks, and I'm not famous enough. It's crazy what's, what's breaking the mold, and you're not alone. You're no, not, alone not alone on this at all. at all. And some of the biggest YouTube creators face the same struggles that you're talking about right now, specifically on the monetization front. Like David Dobrik now, one of the top YouTubers in the moment who garners on average four to five million views a video, almost 10 million subscribers, has now outwardly spoken on his podcast about him making literally close to nothing anymore on his YouTube channel because he swears he doesn't decide to bleep it whatever same with Phil DeFranco Phil DeFranco as well great channel almost a public service for the folks who use YouTube that here is a genuine news outlet that 
didn't come from the mainstream. It's not a Jimmy Kimmel putting it. It's not a CNN, whoever Fox News putting it on. But it's a YouTuber trying to provide a service for his viewers. And the second he talks about anything slightly controversial, and he's just covering the news. He Right. It, it, that video gets not only demonetized but less viewership. Yeah, if it's de- well, look at it this Which way: it, if it's demonetized, why would YouTube sh- push it out to anybody? Why would they use their their resources? Their uh, I use the analogy of a fire hose. If you're going to put so much stuff into the fire hose, you're only going to put the stuff that's going to work at the end. Sure. And if if nobody's paying to push that stuff into the fire hose, why would you put it in there? Well, what I think is fucked is. I, I agree with you, but there are there are some creators that are actually getting pushed by YouTube, getting their videos spread while they're demonetized. Yep. David Dobrik is the example. So there are 5 million people watching every video that he puts out, though you, they're, not, they're not paying David for that. Yet, people are on the platform longer watching his videos, but they don't make that money. They'll make it on the next creator. Right. They'll make it on the safer one. That's not fair to that creator either. Even though he has the viewership and he can monetize elsewhere, the way that you do it, right? Your branding is strong. And thus, you as an actress and as the brand can survive and will thrive. But well, the platforms yes have no. an issue. I mean, uh, I was one of the first creators that Facebook's uh, invited mm-hmm. to have a watch channel. And in the early days, they artificially pushed all of us new watch channels out into the news feed. So we were getting a couple hundred thousand views on our videos and monetization on that. Mm-hmm. And I was making, I was making twice my mortgage wow. on, mm. on, and I have a very low mortgage, twice my mortgage on my Facebook monetization. Now they were probably making 90 times that because it's a, it's about the split. But, um, then they got they got bold, and YouTube now has Will Smith, and uh, Facebook has his wife, Jada Pinkett Smith. So what do they need with us, right? Mm-hmm. But, but they're forgetting who is the basis of their, their growth in the first place was the people who are our fans. Our fans are the consumers of the content we create. We have a relationship with each other. They expect me to do content. I expect them to watch it. Um, one of the strategies most of us are using is um, starting a Patreon. Sure, I saw you content. did that. How's that working? Um, it's slim. I have a feeling that a lot of the people who watch me um, are in hopes of having a surrogate grandma, and they're they're at a point in their life where they really don't have a lot of resources, um, and so they don't have any to share. They don't mm-hmm. have any to share with me. Um, another thing I do is I've started a mailing list my own website, my own mailing list, and I send an email out as soon as the weekly video goes out so that those people at least get a notification. Whether they're able to take a minute right now and watch it is another story because everybody's got a really busy life. Um, The book is not something that I published myself. It was a, a real deal, super awesome cookbook publisher in Massachusetts, um, long history of publishing in, in the cooking space. Um, and so I got a three-stage advance for that cookbook. So once we sell, I don't know, twenty five or 30,000 copies, then I will start to get royalties on that. But that advance, that small advance in three stages had to be put away for the drought. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I come from 
I come from a, a sociological background and an economic background where I don't spend the money that I have now. I spend the money that I that I need to spend now, and I save the rest for when I'm not going to have it. Knowing that <clears throat> this isn't the first conversation that we've had with uh, YouTube, Facebook, social and media personalities in general, because we've had a similar conversation with Vulgar Chef, mm-hmm. um, who's based out in Massachusetts, I Might believe. Be close, yeah. Um, but anyway... If you if you had to do it again, knowing the troubles that you have with demonetization, would cursing still be a part of your brand? And why I ask you that is I, I know that's a layered question. I think the reason you're on this podcast, the reason that you had YouTube success and, and, the, and the reason that you have this cookbook is the differentiating factor of being a grandma that's not afraid to tell it as it is and curse, right? But if oh, you but did you know it, who else that "tell it like it is" phrase is used for? I don't want to be in that camp. Thank you. Who? Oh, oh, sure. <laughs> and that wasn't that wasn't meant to be Trumpian. But would you do it the same if knowing that these hurdles that you have with cursing? Would you do it the same? Because now your brand is your brand, right? Fast as fuck cookbook, Granny Potty Mouth. That doesn't seem like that's pivotable in the short term. And it's an amazing brand. So I'm just trying for people out there who are thinking about creating their own brand, which is a big audience of this podcast. What what would you do? Wow. Speaking of pivotable, we have to wonder when YouTube and Facebook are going to pivot back to reality. Sure. So there's that. Um they they went really super knee jerk about it, and I don't know what, if anything, it's going to take to get them to pivot back. Um, at the Patreon creators just had a conference in Los Angeles last weekend. There's a a lot of creators in the adult space, and I don't mean the porn space. I mean the adult space. That line between granny potty mouth and full porn, mm-hmm. you know, and. Um, whether they're talking about adult topics or they're talking about um, sexuality. There's a gal with the Ask a Mortician. Ask a Mortician is demonetized. She is talking about death, which we all are going to experience at some point. Mm -hmm. Um, So when are are they going to pivot back to reality? And would would I change anything? You know, it's... At some point, when my when my marriage to Mister Slop was ending, <laughs> um, I ha- I found a greeting card that says um, something about the effect that it it would be tempting to go back and change a lot of things in my life, but I don't think I would because I wouldn't have learned what I've learned. Sure, and I, I and we can't. We, so, we can't. So I, I can't predict, that, and I can't. Yeah. I can't rewind. This isn't Groundhog Day, and so. I I am the most me I have ever been as Granny Potty Mouth. Um, and, and I have the wisdom and the courtesy to dial it back when necessary, uh, when appro- not necessary, but appropriate um, for the people I'm around. So I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to be me. I'm glad that I am retired in doing this and already had made smart financial choices in terms of how much did I save? How much did I put away? How, how did I set up my 
uh, my monthly income and how did I set up my monthly nut? And for those who don't understand what that means, that's what do you absolutely have to spend every month? What is your livable income need to be? What, you know, your rent, your utilities, your mortgage, you know, car payment, whatever. That's your nut. And I, I've tried to cover my nut and have a little bit of fun. Well, the fun shows. Yeah. The fun shows. Yeah. And I just got back. My throat, my throat is going, as you can hear. I said it might. Um, and I got back down into that that other voice. Well, how many meals have you had today? <laughs> Only breakfast. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Only breakfast. I'll, I'll ramp up after after lunch and a snack. What? I think there's a lot to learn, a lot to take away from that. Like if you want to build your brand, it looks like Granny Potty Mouth wouldn't have changed a thing. Like she she stuck with her guns. You can't change a thing. And no, no, when to dial it back? Like no. And, but wait a minute, YouTube is responsible for my success, right? Sure. When that video on YouTube, which isn't a shareable platform, there goes the voice, went to <laughs> went to a million views in twenty three days. I had three cookbook offers. Wow. And I picked the company I felt the most comfortable with. I just ended a sentence with a proposition. Preposition. That's not my style. But I picked Page Street Publishing because their their reputation is stellar and the care they took with this book, if you've looked inside, the gorgeous photographs, the layout, the design. Oh, I'm, just, I'm over the moon thrilled. And remember, 30 some years ago, I started as a book publisher, mm. then became a bookseller for 25 years. And now I'm a book publisher again, a book author, author. again. Yeah. So it's yeah, it's it's seriously wonderful full circle moment. And my fans are thrilled, my friends are thrilled. I hang in the music space and I don't ever have anything to contribute because I'm not a songwriter. I don't play an instrument. But all of a sudden, I've got a little bit of cred with my friends. <laughs> I wrote a fucking book. And the recipes are delicious. Tell me a bit more about about the cookbook cuz we've had We've had a couple of people on the program that created books, and and one of the last person was uh, Josh Sher, culinary yeah. bro down, who uh, wrote his book, and it was a bit gloomy in regards to an independent author trying to find a traditional publishing house with an advance and making that work, and also seeing royalties on the back end and the levels of success needed to be able to reap those royalties on the back end. To me, this is a differentiating personality. Uh, I've already addressed how I think it's a differentiating style of cookbook, giving you the base of what you need, letting you change and adapt. Are you having success? Do you see success with this cookbook in a way that, wow, this is, this is something that can continually happen with independent authors like me? It's new, right? I mean, it's, it's brand is, new. It's, it's brand new. Just it's three weeks old today. Um, I think part of the success of the cookbook is the teamwork between me and the publisher. They they asked for a t- projected table of contents first. They gave me some advice as to which chapters need might need to have more recipes and which could have fewer recipes. I was heavy on sweets and not heavy on um, alternatives to. Uh, traditional meat-based meals. Sure. So they wanted me to be. They wanted me to be as inclusive as my channel is, right. really. And so they they were very careful with editing, um, and then they set me free. And I wrote. 
I had most of the recipes in digital form anyway, because people, when I would make something and take it to a potluck, that's what this granny signature shit is. That's the stuff I would often take to a potluck. Great and, chapter name. <laughs> granny signature shit. Sorry. Actually, that was a publisher's suggestion. Granny signature shit. That's, you really need to lump the these tongue. into one chapter because they had them sprinkled in. Um, like I said, it was is a really good partnership, but they came to me because of the success of the one video and what they saw as my attention to my social media presence that I was on I was on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and YouTube and Facebook with a group and Facebook with a main page and the and the watch channel so I have three presences on Facebook a private group the main page and the watch channel they saw that I was um someone who would be a partner in pr- promoting this because the book world has changed so dramatically. The printed book world has changed so just astronomically in the last half decade, much less decade. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't have I don't have any gloomy on this at all. I think that the advance that they sent me was realistic for their budget. And it was motivational enough. I got a portion when I signed the contract, a portion when I, uh, after I had submitted the recipes and they had all been accepted and edited and, and set into print. And then I'll get the, the final portion within 30 days of publication of the book. So it was, it was a, a the, the people running the publishing company are smart and experienced and they've, they have grown with the changes in the publishing world. Cookbooks still live. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, not everybody is going to try to cook from their iPhone. You know, they still want to see the page. And if you look, the, the way that the attention to detail they have on this, this book is Smythe's own in the middle. So it lays flat when you open it. And if you oh, open I saw it, that on your it, reveal on your YouTube channel. I was like, why yeah, is this so important? Yeah, if you open it in the middle and you look carefully down the spine, you can actually oh. see the stitch marks. So it is, it's a sewn binding ah. within, uh, on the inside. So there, there's just so much that, and I went to the bookstore to look for their books before I signed the contract. I had enough knowledge of the book world that I could do that. And I was just so confident in their ability to shepherd this project and accept my passion. Um, I guess that that's that's really it. It was a team. It was a team effort. And when I had a book signing in in Beverly, Massachusetts, next door to Salem, where they're located, two of the representatives of the publishing company came out to the book signing, which was the first night of the World Series, and the Red Sox were in it, and it was <laughs> raining bloody just forever. In fact, a lightning struck a fire, struck a church in the town next door, and just destroyed this 200 and something year old church but they you know they they're participants and mm-hmm. and they let me participate they respect my knowledge of the book industry they respect my comfort with my recipes they respect my fans and my relationship with my fans and it, they have to well or yeah, they should they and- have to and they should but they're smart enough to know that that's just the way to do business yeah. today uh, I'm I'm thrilled. Um, I and and they send me weekly reports. Um, it, it ever since it got on to a got to a certain point on Amazon pre-orders, I would get a weekly report on the nice. pre-orders, and um, 
So it, I was, I had more incentive to continue to tell my fans to pre-order, and uh, you know they're just they're just wonderful. The design, the design made me weep when I first saw it. I literally I burst in tears. To me, it looks like um, Edwards Air Force Base, 1954. Mm-hmm. You know, there's all kinds of nostalgia and trust in the design, in the elements of the design, much less the food in the in the recipes. Yeah, but then there's a lot of pops of contemporary, which I love, and it's the way that it gets delivered in in this this the serving notations right like there's one it's just it, it just it speaks well, that, to me. That, and that was my style um the ingredients assembly and prep or assembly and cook and serve it up because sometimes after you've done with it you don't know how to put it on the table mm-hmm. and i i wanted every at every step of the game i wanted you with your parmesan chicken to be confident and comfortable and happy when you put this meal on the table that i was that well, I was. It. Are you and and leftovers? It's good that you mentioned leftovers. A lot of the one of the big tricks to fast as fuck is that you cook enough for tomorrow, which gives you a step toward the next day, yeah. right? And that's yeah. and that's what I love about our lunch at work that isn't from um, you know some hamburger stand. Sure, sure. But before we close, are you? Oh, do we have to? Man, <laughs> this has been so much fun. I just want to sit in the room all day, but <laughs> how I don't think I've talked with anybody about this cookbook that gets it as much as you do. Um, that's been really cool. Well, thank you for having a tight cookbook cuz not to big you up too much, we get sent a lot of cookbooks. You you are one of the few that like, have been on this podcast because everything well, is put together in a way that we just respond to it. I mean, I can't tell you the amount of cookbooks that we flip through that have a interesting premise, but lack a soul or, or the opposite, right? There, there's a lot, you can tell a lot of work's been in it, but the premise isn't interesting enough to cut through the veil. So and we'd heard of you before, but then, then there's the, per, you've hit that right on the perfect crosshairs. And so, I mean, nothing but success to you in the future. Well, and I had a, I, had a I quick think I way. should come back and, and cook for you sometime. We'll <laughs> I want again. you to review stuff that we see every day. That's what, <laughs> I don't know if we have time. We have time. I don't know. There's you have a, a question? There's a whole sub chapter. I've there's, seen your channel. I've seen you. There's a whole sub text to your or my YouTube channel. Let's yeah, that's get, what that's what let, I caught on to. Let's, let's do it. And I want you to put Can it up on up? your computer. But I want you to do it after I ask this question. Okay, go I think it's related and I think it's important. Are you are you a one woman team from the social management to video production to editing to managing your cookbook? Is that happening solely through you? Pretty much. That's what I imagine. And you've seen my videos where the twins are there. Yeah, uh-huh. I call them the twins. And in my Q and A session, I answered a question, a fan's question: Why do I call them the twins? Um, well, it's two syllables instead of RKVC or Rod and Vince, which is three syllables. But they're just really nice guys. And they were the first people who ever asked to collaborate with me um, when I started my channel. And we did this rap video um, where I, I wrote the rap and they were blown away. Because that was the premise of it. You know, we'll, I'll do a rap. Well, then I, I left them in the living room at one point and came went to the bedroom and came back and changed and I was dressed in exactly the same outfit they had on a red shirt with a v-neck and a black vest 
And then they said, well, I said, well, you know, lay down some beats, boys. You know? <laughs> and, and they said, well, oh, we don't know how to, we don't know what the cadence is to this. I said, well, I do, so lay down the beat. And I just laid it out. And they're like, whoa, their <laughs> mouth just fell open. And, and after that, it was, the, we had a bond that wasn't going to break. And um, we have an, another colleague, a guy who owns a company called Tiny Sponsor, and they find small sponsorships for smaller than big creators. And one of the sponsorships that he, this guy arranged is to pay Rod and Vince to either shoot and edit or simply edit my videos. So occasionally they'll come over, and typically it's when I'm going to cook something because they're on a very limited budget, and um, they know that I will cook something that they can eat. Rod is vegetarian, and Vince has a gluten intolerance. He's not he's not gluten freak out, but he gets some issues, um, some digestive issues with too much gluten. Um, and so that's when I can test out these other recipes, like the enchilada casserole I made recently. Yeah. Holy fuck, that was good. <laughs> oh, man. And, oh, and then uh, this last week, um, right after the cookbook dropped, I did the Mexican-style sweet potato. Oh, I saw that. Oh, my word. And that was a recipe that I saw, and I thought, that just looks kind of plain. If I just put those spices in it, it... it maybe not what if i what if i and it's with that improv what if i squeeze some lime juice in it not lemon but lime lime on your on your corn on the cob that's pretty good so i'll squeeze i i squoze i squeezed (laughs) some lime juice into the dish as i was making it transformed it and that's how it ended up in the rest in the in the book well wait sorry i so One amazing recipe, but ti- tiny sponsor is that a thing? So that they basically tied you. They found people that would edit for you as a sponsor. Like that's their. They found a sponsor who liked my videos enough, thought we could up the production value a little uh-huh. if I could find some editors. And I knew Rod and Vince could use the money, mm. and I like to shoot with them because they have a really good ethic on set. Uh-huh. Uh, on set, my kitchen. Sure. Um, but they have a really good work ethic. They have a really good clean. They're clean and, and they help to clean. And um, I said, well, if I can hire anybody I want, I, I'd like to see if Rod and Vince are available. And so that happened. Um, that's a cool, that's that's a cool, cool that's ecosystem. A cool, yeah, I like that. That's sweet. Yeah, tinysponsor.com. And uh, anybody who's a creator, um, if you've got a niche you're more likely to get a sponsor. I'm having trouble getting sponsors, but I thought that was a really sweet one. That is uh, pretty There was another sense. app recently I, I did where somebody wanted motivational messages every day. Um, oh, I saw that link on your YouTube. So that's something where you can request and essentially pay for... Oh, no, that, that's, that's Cameo. Oh, yeah, that's Cameo. Cameo. That, that's another income producer. That's another income producing thing. You got to diversify. Yeah. Tell, but, me about, but, tell me about that and how yeah. you're doing that. Because I the, the first time... I have I, two requests in my phone right now that I have to get to. Somebody wants a birthday message. Somebody just got a promotion at, at work. Um, a couple of people have tried to sneak in commercials. Oh. And one I just said, oh, so 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 and so and so and so wants me to do a commercial for hair, blah 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 blah. Well, you know, I really don't need to do any hair products because I have this naturally curly, beautifully gray hair. And um, if you think I'm going to do a commercial for twenty four dollars, you're sadly mistaken. <laughs> Cameo is sweet. So basically, people can get 
personalized messages from you to a friend or whatever, like for a birthday. It's a pretty or sweet... Or even for themselves. Or you for know? yourself. They just want to hear yeah. from you. Yeah. And I'm trying to figure a way for Cameo and another one, it's called Starsona, for Cameo and Starsona to work with Patreon so that my patrons who pledge at a certain monthly level could get a monthly video from me. Oh. Or they could buy a video for someone else at a Patreon perk. I like that. I like that. That's so, fun. That's fun. But this other can... app was called FlixUp. And and um, so I recorded on an iPhone, which I had never used. I learned to use an iPhone one day, and um, an old one, a 6, iPhone 6. Uh, so I learned... I love how that's old now. I feel <laughs> old knowing that a 6 is old. But I, I did these videos. I did one a day for 30 days, and... Um, they were going really good, and I was building a fan base, and then they didn't renew the the offer. So now we've got all those fans who are not seeing new videos from me. Well, and you mentioned you just mentioned something, the topic that I found interesting, which is the iPhone 6. People are 17 years old starting their YouTube channels, but they completely understand the technology because they grew up on it. You're managing your own social, doing your own cookbook on technologies that were in existence when you were up, when you were growing up. So has as technology for older creators has technology been a challenge and does it continue it to be a challenge? It hasn't been for me. It hasn't been for me because I'm really lucky. Um, I I graduated from elect from manual typewriters to electric typewriters to electric typewriters with a little bit of memory to uh, word processors that stood as tall as a desk to my first 286 um, and and then the idea of carrying a computer with you instead of it being at the desk. Um, and I, but I've stayed in the PC Android world because don't think like Mac think. It, there, it's a whole different thinking process. And because my journey was all in the PC computer world, um, I, I don't work in the, in, the, in the Mac world. And early days, I shot with my Samsung phone put it on a little tripod with a little squeezy thing and shot with that. Um, and then about a year ago, I bought a little Canon vlogging camera. I saw mm. my favorite, my favorite YouTube creator <coughs> who's, who's really kind of so different is a gal named Lily Hevish, H-E-V-E-S-H. And she has a channel called Hevish 5. And she is the domino artist champion <laughs> domino artist champion <coughs> she makes art with dominoes she did the dominoes in the movie collateral beauty oh interesting well i'm looking her up right now she did the dominoes in the lily in the katie perry album launch yeah dominoes. <coughs> oh, shit. and um so she ha- she was at a conference i was at and she had this little vlogging camera Holy with the screen cow. flipped up so she could see it yeah i went lily what is that now, mind you, she was a fan of mine. I had just seen the movie Collateral Beauty. We ran into each other in the hall as I was telling friends, look, there's dominoes in there. This is Collateral Beauty. I just saw that on the plane. And Lily comes around the corner. She goes, I did the dominoes for that. Oh, my God, you're Granny Potty Mouth. <laughs> and she lives 20 minutes from where I grew up in Massachusetts. How do you like the YouTube space? I think earlier we just talked about the money and the monetization and distribution, but co- the community. The community. How do you do you like that? Are you involved heavily in it? You've I been am, to VidCon? I am 
Uh, I've been to VidCon a couple of times. They don't think I'm big enough to put on the stage. That kind of bothers me. VidCon is weird. I think VidCon, VidCon is super weird now that it got sold to Viacom. Super weird. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they are what they are. And the last year, the first year I went, I had a walker. Last year I had um, a, an electric scooter. Tiny sponsor paid for my scooter so that I ran around VidCon with their name <laughs> on my scooter. That's so smart. And I could tell all the people what Tiny Sponsor was all about. This guy's got a heart of gold. He, he really loves matchmaking in the small creator space and, the, and in the small brand space. Tiny um, I'm definitely going to look up Tiny Sponsor. So, yeah, I love the YouTube community. Um, I love how they love me. Mm. They love me more than my kids do. <laughs> <laughs> I think YouTube creators love authentic, like, other creators, and they, they dig it. All right, I got to show you this video. Okay, so the part of my daily workload is I'm looking at the weirdest food that gets sent across my desk. And this one is a item from an actual sushi restaurant in Florida. Um, granny reacts time is yeah, where we're headed. This is, this is what I want a granny reacts time to this Thanksgiving-inspired recipe <laughs> at a sushi restaurant. I'm looking already at the, we're wrong. You're already I'm, wrong, I'm, right? I'm looking at this thumbnail, and I... Oh. Anyway. I'm going to walk through... So the audience at home that can't see this, I'm going to walk you through what we're looking at. But then, Granny, you feel free to just get your visceral reaction. So it's a sweet... Um, I, I can't see that far. Here we go. We get a, we get a lot closer. Are those marshmallows? Yep. <laughs> it starts already. Wait. Marshmallows and rice and little black seeds and Sw salmon? <laughs> sweet. And something sprinkled on top? Or are those burned marshmallows? So this is So it's a sweet potato sushi roll. And there's crispy marshmallows on top, and it's covered with a soy sauce and an eel sauce and a honey oh. and a honey. So it's kind of playing off of a baked uh, Alaska, Alaska, but, but with marshmallow and like sweet a baked tongue. scallop style sushi roll. So anyway, no, no. So this was this was sort of going for the sweet rice pudding with the sweet potatoes and the marshmallows. I could, I was with you. <laughs> Until you said soy sauce <laughs> and eel sauce and eel sauce. So here's the no, thing: is, no, no. <laughs> so we're watching it. So they're they're placing <coughs> the sushi roll has sweet potato inside instead of a fish, and then it's topped with a marshmallow. The marshmallow gets torched, uh, and then it's covered with an eel sauce and honey and honey. I don't know if I hate the flavors. I haven't tasted it. I mean, obviously. here's the here's the thing, Granny. We we were on the podcast l last week, and the pre the premise was should lettuce be eradicated from the face of the earth? And and e Eli brought in the sandwich that I thought was going to be horrific. He brought in a white bread, peanut butter, mayo, and lettuce sandwich. Which you ever had it? Which on premise sounds disgusting. And when I had it, my taste bud said, I like it. And so I think that's one of those things where now, because that happened, even though my mind rejected it, and my taste bud said, wow, I'm kind of into it, I just I feel weird about judging stuff I haven't tasted yet. This is the same thing to me where I can't imagine wanting a marshmallow with rice ever. Just mm -hmm. that combination. 
But that being said, man, you you kind of fucked my world up a but, little bit last week. But marshmallow and rice is not a lot different from rice pudding. That's true. Or That's rice true. crispy treats. Or rice crispy treats, exactly. So this is actually and not that weird at all. Sweet potato. Sweet potato and marshmallow. That's that's the Thanksgiving thing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm I'm all over it until, except that I don't <laughs> like marshmallows. I'm all over it until you get to soy sauce and eel sauce. Eel sauce. I mean, because with sushi, why, the, why? Because you're you're going for the sweet. There's just so much going on because in sushi, if they're making sushi right, it's a it's a vinegar sesame seed sushi rice. Mm. But what do they have around the the uh, what you call it around the sweet potato? Is that seaweed? So that'll yeah. be the seaweed holding yeah. it together <laughs> and the rice. So seaweed, vinegar, sushi rice. I'm assuming the eel sauce, soy vinegar, sauce, sushi rice. Sushi rice that has uh has rice vinegar in it. Typically, if they're doing, if they're if, doing, if they're, it. if they're doing it right, sushi rice has rice vinegar. So that's okay. a whole lot of savory, and then a whole lot of sweet. It's not. Sim- they're only missing the salt. <laughs> I'm sure that's on there too. Uh, the eel sauce leans a little has salty. a little salty, right? Yeah. So I think they're getting that sweet and salt on top with the honey. I I I kind of dig it. I actually think just because it's sushi, it's going to be abrasive. Like they're using the name sushi, but really, it's is this much different than like a rice pudding? Okay, this well, is from Wave Asian Bistro, by the way, in Florida, who I think, I believe listens to this podcast as well, so surprise, we're out. talking to you at the end. So, marshmallows. Marshmallows aren't vegan, right? Depends. I don't believe so. Oh, I guess there are it brands depends. that are. But usually, no. Usually, there's like a little speck of gelatin that comes from an animal that pisses uh, PETA off. Um, well, I don't like them. <laughs> so you, I, I don't, you don't like marshmallows? Is, or? No, that's I, the I, part I of Granny Reacts we were looking for. Now that we've talked about the sushi roll, I by the way, I don't like I don't marshmallows like marshmallow. in anything okay. or on anything. Where I grew up, a, a fluffernutter was a big sandwich. Yeah. Marshmallow spread, fluff, marshmallow fluff spread, and peanut, peanut butter. Oh, I love it. You don't uh, my like mother it? introduced me to peanut butter bacon sandwiches. Oh, upgrade. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. my God. The bacon has to be super crispy, though. Yeah. Peanut butter bacon sandwiches on on buttered toast. Peggy, where can can our readership purchase your book? Any place they want. Um, Amazon, um, barnesandnoble.com, any bookstore. Um, They don't buy it from me. They don't buy it from the publisher. The traditional distributions um, out there in where you buy books world as opposed to circumventing any of that. And where can they follow you online? Oh, Granny Potty Mouth on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter, on Instagram. I'm not as active on Instagram, um, and I don't understand stories because that shit just disappears. In, <laughs> it, I mean, it disappears in 24 hours, and that's like a bad one-night stand. Why? Same with Facebook stories. Why would you put something up that's going to disappear? I don't know why they're doing it on Facebook and Instagram. And now there's a no direct. Facebook is weird. But, yep, that's where you can follow (laughs) Granny out here. I don't Snapchat. Neither do I. Neither do a lot of people. So, (laughs) you're good. (laughs) Thanks for coming on the catch-up, Granny. Thank you. Whew. This has been so dang much fun. Yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun. I knew from the opening minute. Of just your energy and the way you communicate, that this was going to be a good pod. I could already tell. So a pod. and and a pod. and 
you hugged us when you walked through yeah, the door. Yeah, I like that. I yeah. like that. I needed a hug this morning. Yeah, that was, that was nice. yeah. That but was what nice. kind of hug was it? Full frontal. You taught me that. <laughs> you taught me that. I'm now gonna. <laughs> I'm now gonna make it was, hugging way it more. It was weird. not a one arm side hug. That's <laughs> no. what it was not. Yeah. I it's, went it's, in with the one real, arm, and you didn't like real, it. No, it's a real hug. A hug is a renewable resource. You give one, you get one. You're never at a deficit. Damn knowledge. That's what you get by being almost 75. You figure this shit out. <laughs> what a way to end. I love it. Okay. Thank you guys for listening. At Tune home. in next week to the Catch Up Podcast. Mm. Eli, oh, Jeff, you know what? Granny. I'm going to be the keynote speaker at PodFest. What? Where, where, in Orlando. Where, where and when is that? In I believe it's in February in Orlando. PodFest. We should where go all good podcasters should be. Yeah. Okay. Time to book. <laughs> Granny, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Bring me back anytime you want. We'll cook shit and eat shit. That or taste great. shit. Try shit. <laughs>